You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 254, Shea Sparks and Finding Purpose. You ever had that question, what am I here for? This one's for you. Halfway there. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. As always, I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. Every download makes me very excited because I know that you're on the other end listening. And my my hope, my prayer before every show is that you'll be encouraged. You'll take some action. You will remember that God has not forgotten you. He is with you. So friends, uh, today uh, we've got a really great conversation. I'm excited about this one. Our guest, she is the CEO, but it's not the CEO you think. She's the chief excitement officer, which I love, of Sparks of Fire International, a certified fearless living coach and trainer. And she's also got her own podcast called The Power of Investing in People, um, as well as the co-founder of the Firestarters Book Project. I'm sure we're going to hear all about all of those things. Our guest is Shay Sparks. Shay, welcome to Halfway There. Oh, thank you so much for having <laughs> me, Eric. It's just an honor well, to be on a, on a friend's podcast. Yeah, thank you. that's right. We've we've uh, been around online spaces. We got a chance to meet each other in person a couple of years ago at Podcast Movement. That was fun. Yes. That was really great. Which is hard to believe. It was two years ago. Know, it just right? seemed, it, it's just flown by so I know. fast. Yeah. I, 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 my only complaint about that event was it was Orlando in, uh, in August. And that's a bad <laughs> idea. Just always. Right. <laughs> but it was great. Otherwise, it was so yeah. much fun. Got to meet a ton of, ton of great people. Looking forward to going here in a few months to uh, Nashville, which is a great, a great town. So um, yeah. I want to hear more about you, though. So I love that chief excitement officer. That's fantastic. How'd you come? How'd you come up with that? And like, tell us a little more about who you are and what you do. Sure. So uh, thank you for asking. That is actually the one question most people don't ask. Yes. So there you go. Great job. (laughs) (laughs) So chief excitement officer came about because I spent many years wanting to die. And when I started to live and started to choose to thrive and not just survive, Um, I had people say, you're just really excited, aren't you? And I'm like, yes, I am. I'm really excited about what, what, what life is doing. And they're like, do you sleep? I'm like, sometimes, Yeah. (laughs) but most times I literally am like ripping the covers off and jumping out of bed. I'm so excited to get the day started of who, who do I get to meet? Who do I get to talk to? Where am I going? What am I doing? That, um, it just kind of, when I was thinking about, you know, what do I want to call myself? And it was like, well, chief excitement officer, that's really what what the uh, epitome of who I am is. Yeah. So people were already saying that to you. Yes. Yes. Very cool. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Well, you said something really interesting. You spent many years wanting to die. So we need to hear all of the, that story, right? Uh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it's a, it's a story. So sounds like you had an amazing transformation. Yeah. So I was um, at... And I wouldn't say wanting, well, there was probably wanting, but it was definitely waiting, waiting to die. Mm -hmm. So I I was in an abusive relationship for 12 years. And when I was able to get out of that, that's when it really hit me like, wow, like my whole life, my first 34 years of my life, I just kept thinking like, 
oh, here's another day. Oh, what, you know, n- nothing to look forward to. It was more about like, there's nothing more. This is all there is. This yeah. is as good as it's going to get. Which is really normal during trauma, right? Is you can't see beyond that, the present moment. Yes. And I didn't realize until I started to, uh, I started going to a Christian counselor right away. I started to peel away the layers of the onion that I am is what I say and heal each one and realized how it wasn't just in that relationship. I was focused on um, surviving. It was my whole life that I was focused on surviving because, um, people oftentimes will be get into a relationship that mimics your family growing up. So it's very familiar. Mm-hmm. And when I um, was one of the books that I read when I was going through that healing process was women who love too much and the book boundaries. And I didn't know how familiar my ex-boyfriend was to my parents, to my brothers, to my grandmother. So they took like, those were my core people in my family and they took, he took all of those negative traits about them. And mind you, they weren't as abusive as he was, but, and he had some really great traits too. That's the, that's the cycle of, you know, being in a relationship like that, but he had them. So like to the nth degree, like it was just so horrible that I was like, okay, part of this is really familiar, but I didn't really grasp it until after and was able to see something different. Um, you know, I thought everyone was manipulated um, by their their significant other, by their family. I thought everyone was sarcastic. I thought no one really showed, you know, I didn't know how to show love or receive love because I didn't really see it growing up yeah. and I didn't see it in my relationship. Okay. I want to talk. So I want to talk a little bit about manipulation yeah. But then I also want to go back into your kind of childhood as well. If that's yeah. okay. So of course, um, cause I've been thinking a lot about manipulation recently and I'm really struck by even in the church, you know, I'm a, a seminary trained guy and I care a lot about what happens in the church, how often some of our arguments and the things that we, people say are so manipulative and it's starting to freak me out a little bit. Right. So, cause it's kind of grooming. And like you said, you, you, you have this kind of way of once you're, manipulated you sort of don't see it anymore after a while right yeah well you hit the you said the word grooming and I think that's uh I think that's the word that I've been hearing lately when um pedophiles will go after their 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 prey right they start going they start grooming them and I'm like man how often do we you know sit in a in a, in a conversation with another person. And there's these little tiny nuances that they say that are literally doing that new grooming them to, to let us go to the big thing that we're going to go, Oh, well, that's normal. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, marketing is manipulation in some way, shape or form, right? They're, they're marketing to us to manipulate us to buy, right. To believe that we want it. Right. Yeah. Which is an interesting, uh, for a business owner, it's an interesting paradox, isn't it? <laughs> Sometimes, how do I do this in a way that gets people to buy, but without like totally being a jerk? So interesting. Okay. That's a whole nother discussion. We'll have to have that some other right. time. So I want to go back into your story and okay. So you, you grew up, where did you grow up? 
Yeah, I grew up on a farm in the middle of Iowa. Oh yeah, okay. I yeah. remember Iowa. So which part of Iowa? Because that's you, do you know I'm from Iowa? No. Did we never have that conversation? <laughs> I don't think so. I grew up we? in Des Moines. Okay, so I'm from Baxter, which is just yeah. outside of Newton. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know where that is. Right. Oh, that's so funny. I know I didn't realize that. Yeah, very cool. Okay, so farm in Iowa. Yeah. Um. Okay, tell me about that. Well, I it's funny. So, um. I think my brothers and myself grew up in different houses. <laughs> okay. Even though we 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 did we had um we just have a different experience because they were they were doing the chores, they were doing um all the farm type things mm-hmm. and I was doing what I did or doing what I could, but to me it was like not enjoyable. Like that was the worst thing. Like I was a big city girl. Like my brain was already like as a kid like I don't like this farm life. And I realize now it's because I'm an extrovert. So even going through 2020, being isolated was so difficult for me. So it's really about being and being on a farm is very isolating, especially yeah. in Iowa with the winters. Right. You know, some sometimes you would get snowed in and you'd be out there for, you know, could be a couple of days before you went to school because there was so much snow drifts. So right. Yeah. yeah and so huge. it was, yeah. So to me, it was, it was. I don't even want to say it was bad. It was okay, but it's all I knew. Um, it was just not a loving, caring home. We went to church every Sunday. And so I think it was about between the ages of eight and 10 that I realized my family was churchgoers, not Christ followers. Oh, tell me about that. Well, we would go to church every Sunday and then it was like, we'd get home and then my dad would shift to, um, not being uh, loving and caring, but at church, he was kind of like everyone's uh, friend. Yeah, yeah. Right? So everyone wanted to talk to him. But when we got home, I, I call it kick the cat. He would like, um, you know, like treated everyone else in the world. He would do anything for anybody. But when we got home, it was like, no, he didn't have time for us. He didn't have time to, you know, ha- even talk to us or anything like that. So it was... And he didn't, when he talked to us, it wasn't a, a nice talk. It was always, he was always angry. That's mostly well, what he showed us. Is well, how so what effect did that have on you? Mm. Well, that's all I knew was anger. Yeah. Uh, watching it, right? So uh, I grew de- very depressed um, by the time I was, so when I was in, well, by the time I was in sixth grade, uh, my oldest brother graduated high school and we grew up drinking as just to, part of life. And so when my brother graduated to high school, we had a kegger, right? Like, cause that's what you did in Iowa is drink because there was also nothing else to do. Right. There's very few things. This is why the, the rural areas struggle so much with substance abuse and uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was 11 and I drank two bottles of wine. Wow. Yeah. And so then about six months later, then I had uh, broke my knee and it was in the winter. So here we are, that isolation, that cold, the depression kicked in so bad. I didn't go to school. Um, I was in so much pain, the painkillers that they had, I think at the time, again, I'm a kid, so I don't really know. They only had one option and they made me extremely um, nauseous. So they made me vomit. So then my mom said, we'll just stop taking them. Well, you stop taking painkillers, the pain makes you vomit. 
Yeah. So um, I was, what, 12 years old, seventh grade, when you're supposed to be um, social, isolated from the world. It's cold. It's depressed. I really felt like the devil was speaking to me then, telling me to just commit suicide. Oh, wow. And I thought about it a lot was how much I just wanted to die. And then um, it was about 14, I started smoking cigarettes and 15, I was drinking daily. Wow. Just to numb all of that feeling out. Okay. So, I mean, that's, that's really tough. So that's a, that's a lot, but you can see how that sort of develops over, you know, over time, certainly. So were you just trying to kind of numb the pain of just your upbringing and, and all of, all of that? Yeah, the numb the pain of what I realized, you know, of course, many years later was that I was in pain because my dad was angry. Yeah. Because uh, up until I was about three to five, I was daddy's little girl and then I was neglected and he mm. completely ignored me. And so I was like, well, that was, that's painful, right? That's painful to be not loved by your your parents or your family or to not feel loved by your family. And so I think that's really what the, I mean, the depression and everything else was happening and, but the real deep down suffering pain was that I always felt unloved by my family that I was really trying to, to mask with alcohol. Right. And so you kind of had this belief Did that, well, I should ask that as a question. Did that give you a belief of you were not worthy? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm not worthy and I'm unlovable, right? Mm. That, you know, the two go hand in hand. Clearly I'm not, clearly I'm unlovable and I'm not worthy or clearly I'm wor- not worthy because, you know, and I'm unlovable, yeah. you know, they go hand in hand, but it was um, lots of, wasn't until, you know, I went with that Christian therapist and, you know, the books that I read and the healing and the other things that I've done, it was really like, wow. So, and, and I have always been a, a, Christ follower. I was the opposite of my family where they didn't go to, we went to church, but I felt like Jesus was my best friend. Like he lived Mm. in my pocket and I took him out and he was my imaginary friend that I carried around with me all the time. Okay. That's really interesting. Cause my next question was going to be, what effect did all of that have on, on your relationship with God? So, cause I think there's two ways you can go there. And it sounds like the way you went was closer. Yeah, I think he was always, well, I don't think, I know, he, uh, God was just always with me. Jesus was always with me. To to me, they're one and the same. Um, So for me, when I say God, I always, I pray to me, it's, it's also Jesus. And, and, and some people it's like, no, it's the, uh, you know, a different version of God, universe, whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 for me, it's different. For me, it's that personal relationship. And I like I said, I think it was between eight and nine years old. There was two things that happened to me during Sunday school. One, I remember sitting in church in, and we had folding chairs at our church for in the little kids in the Sunday school to sing in the, the choir in the beginning in the worship. And so I was sitting there probably in the back row and um, we're lear- learning. Oh, no, it wasn't worship. It was actually learning the sermon. And they were talking about the Easter story. And for whatever reason, that particular day, I heard, because I had heard it many times before, but for whatever reason, that day I heard religious people killed Jesus. 
And there was as if a person like Jesus himself, God himself came and sat next to me in that folding chair and said, Jesus was spiritual. Jesus loved everyone. Be like Jesus, not religious. Wow. And I remember going around as a little kid going, I don't believe in organized religion. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And people are, I'm sure adults were like, oh, okay, kid, what are you talking about? Um, But yeah, I mean, I, that's kind of the background I had growing up. So I just always felt like, even though I was suffering with all that pain and the depression, I knew that there was, um, I knew God was with me. I knew Jesus was with me. So I I was praying as much as I was hearing the devil's voice as well. Um, there was a moment I was actually drinking before school one day and I was in the mirror and I was putting on my makeup and I'm staring at my own eyes in the mirror and I was drinking and I swear to you, I heard the devil say, keep drinking. We, you will die. I will take you. Wow. And it kind of scared me. And, and yet I didn't quit drinking. And, um, you know, and there were many times that I would be drinking, and driving home and um, praying. And I know that's, you know, people are like, yeah, you, you know, God, when you're in the trouble, but you know, I felt like that was just part of who I am. Right. For me. Cause I yeah. he was a part of my life. And then when I, uh, I got a DUI when I was 16, I woke up the next morning and I was like, thank you, God. Thank you for saving my life. I know that I have messed up my life so far. So I'm giving it to you. You do with it what you want. Wow. Now, that wasn't a, um, like they do in the movies, the miracle and life changes right then. And you wake up at a different house and a different life. And, you know, it's a wonderful life and everybody's loving to you. No, it's not like that. Um, but by 24, I was quit drinking. I was sober. So it's just been a few years since I've been sober. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> Okay. So you kind of went down that, down that path and you, you, you figured that part out. Uh, was there an event that made you stop drinking or was it just sort of over time? Yeah, I was with, uh, I'd slowed down significantly um, when I got a DUI and then about, it. yeah. And then about six months later, my dad left and my mom fell apart and um, I had to take care of her. And that was also another significant mm. moment where I had to be the the caregiver, which weirdly I didn't recognize until again later that I had been caregiving for her most of my childhood and didn't even see it. So now jump ahead, I'm 24 and I'm in this relationship with this man who's abusive, who's also an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, you know, you do really stupid things when you drink after we had been drinking one night and what I know now is that he was just projecting it onto me. Cause he was the one who was yeah, getting other girls phone numbers while we were out. Yeah. And, um, but that was it for me. Like I literally went to the refrigerator and told the beer in the refrigerator, I can never have another one of you again. And that was it. I was done. Okay. That's amazing. All right. So then you, so when did you start to um, realize that you were in this, in this relationship that was abusive and you, you needed to, to get out. Really year nine. Um, 
it was, you know, before that it was, I knew, but I was praying for him Mm. and thought, God, you want me here for some reason. So I know this is where I'm supposed to be. And mind you, he literally was uh, not just abusing me. He, we had moved in together and he went and married someone else and had children with her while we were living together. Oh, wow. So he was living a double life. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Which was like, when I found out, I it was totally like, how is this even possible? But, you know, talk <laughs> about manipulation. That's how, um, you know, ill people, I will call them that ill people yeah. will uh, manipulate, right? They'll, they'll believe their own lies. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, so what did you do? Cause did you, that should be a clue, right? Like, oh, okay. I'm, I'm kind of out of here now. Yeah. So I left and, um, of course he manipulated his way back in. I mean, he was uh, like, you know, I'll, uh, and it didn't, it wasn't again overnight. It was took yeah, time yeah. and he's like, but he didn't want to let me go. Mm. And since I had never felt, uh, loved before or worthy of healthy love, we'll put it that way. I didn't, um, understand. I didn't know what love looked like or healthy love looked like. And so he said, you know, I will, you know, all the things that I wanted to hear at the time, I'll get a divorce. You'll be the stepmom of my children. And I think he found that that was maybe I had a glint of uh, love in my eyes or something because he pulled on those heartstrings because I don't have children. And he was like, oh, I'm going to use my own children to get her. And again, goes back to that manipulation again. And it was um, at some point, I'm not, I don't remember when, but at some point I stopped, I didn't stop praying for him, but I had the thought of, and I feel like God gave this to me, like, well, what if I just prayed for me Mm. instead of just praying for him? How about I pray for me? And once I started to pray for myself and God helped me and heal me and what do you want me to do? Um, It was year nine. I was on the phone with him. And we lived separately um, when, as soon as I found out we had lived separately. So um, I'm on the phone with him and I said, uh, I can't do this anymore. This is so ridiculously awful. I can't do this anymore. And he said, um, you know, all the things of I'm not, I'm not uh, eating. I'm not um, taking care of myself because you're not with me, blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, as I'm saying, I can't do this anymore. There is literally, again, someone sitting next to me on a couch as if, and all I hear is this voice, not now, not now. And um, about another three years, a a lot of series of events had happened. And um, he was then in a car accident and he was, had brain damage. He was in a coma and we're at the hospital in his uh, I call, let his family know and his sister showed up and she's like, okay, you have to get life insurance and you have to get the, his job to get, you know, get hold of his insurance and all of these things she was like telling me to do. And, um, I, I was like, everything that you know about him is a lie. Yeah. And she was like, what? And I'm like, he doesn't have life insurance. He doesn't have insurance. He doesn't even have a job. And she's like, what? 
And so we had this long conversation, of course, that was then my fault. I was enabling him is what, you know, they said to me. And uh, (laughs) I'm like, yeah. Runs in the family. Uh, Yes, it does. And I said, you know, I was driving home and uh, from the air, the hospital that day. And I'll never forget. It was just like an aha moment. I just felt like God said, this is what not now meant. You had to hand them back to his family and like release Mm. a care of him. It was really what it was care. And uh, because I had been taking care of him in all way, shape and form my, those last three years. And so his sister had to get guardianship of him and I had to fill in all the blanks of whatever information. I mean, I knew his social security number, everything. So I had to fill in all that information for her. And that to me was what not now meant like, okay, I needed to fill in the blanks. And, you know, he was ended up moving to a nursing home and he's in a, at the, at this time, his eyes were open and that's it. Everything else was still shut down. Um, he was on a, uh, he had a tracheotomy at a trach in and, um, life support and, but he was communicating with his eyes and would blink. And so I, went in and his, be- his sister begged me to go in and I had to break up with her wow. <laughs> I had to basically tell her like, I, this is what's been going on and I've been trying to leave and blah, 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 blah. And I am like handing out all this over to you because I, I, I can't do this. And they were still at the point, still trying to get me to take over. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Um, and so finally I said, um, I went and so- she's like, please go see him. And I was like, oh, I don't want to. But I did, and um, he was asleep when I got there, and finally he opened his eyes, and I said, uh, can you hear me? Blink your eyes, and he blinked his eyes a whole lot, and I said, do you know who I am? And he just stared at me, and I repeated the question, and I got the same mm. response, and I just looked at him, and I turned and walked away and walked out of the nursing home and had this overwhelming sense of grief. Yeah. Um, but there was a, a little a hint of relief. Yeah. And um, I had already started with the Christian counseling literally in the first week of the accident happening and just really trying to be like, okay, what is it that I don't know that I need to know to make sure this never happens again? And so that kind of led me down the self, uh, self, healing, self-discovery, self-journey for the next, uh, however many years where I, uh, work in progress as they say. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. All right. Well, really interesting. So I often ask about the sort of dark night of the soul, but kind of the whole episode is, is the dark night of the soul for you. I honestly think the first 34 years was the dark night of my soul. Wow. Yeah. And you yeah. can, so it's interesting. You can look back and you see how the Lord was with you and he was kind of guiding you little, little by little, um, even, did you ever feel abandoned during that time? Oh, of course, but not by him. It was more of my family Yeah, that I felt abandoned by. Um, but not, not the Lord. He, he was always in my pocket (laughs) writing. Yeah. Writing along with me. So do you remember that this, this is silly, but there was a, there was a game called pocket gods. Do you remember that? Like it was probably, you probably no. never saw it, but it was like, you could have your own little Island and, uh, 
and you were the god of the island and you could do whatever it was it was silly oh, but you funny. made me think of that <laughs> i haven't thought of that for a long time uh very good so interesting that's that's so powerful shay so i really would love to hear more about your story and how you um began to you know discover who you who you were because i think that's really interesting i am Often I get in trouble, get myself in so much trouble when I talk about the self and how newsflash, you have one, right? We all have one. Jesus had a self. So self is not, does not equal bad, right? So that kind of is, uh, is one of my hobby horses. So you went on this journey. So where did that take you? And what were the kind of things that you learned and how did, how'd you learn them? That's such a great question. So I think for me, it was, I was so giving that I forgot of self, forgot of me, um, to the detriment of me. Um, and I just kept saying like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what I'm supposed to be doing is care is caring, caregiving for someone else, giving care to someone else. Um, like I said, I, I realized my mom, I was doing that my whole life, you know, going up in the church, you know, there were lots of times where, you know, it might be the pastor's wife or the elderly or somebody, you know, needed help. And I would go and clean or, you know, I'm a little kid, but I would go and clean and whatever, or you yeah. know, take care, whatever was needed. And it was almost as if I'm trying to remember, even my mom was like kind of coaxing me to do that, but I really don't remember, honestly. Um, the book boundaries is what's coming to mind. It was so hmm. instrumental in realizing that when they say on the airplane that you have to put your mask on first before the other person. Yeah. It's when you grow up thinking you just give, 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 you have no idea that you even have needs yourself. And so I didn't know I had needs. I thought if I had needs, that means I was a bad person. And um, the reality is, is we all have, we all have needs. It's not a, it's not, bad at all in fact it's what how god designed us well so that's really interesting right so we get it's it's not bad to have needs right like i think right. that's the that's the hard part you know we there is this sort of christian tradition and it's good right if francis of assisi is great right because he gave away all everything he had and he chose to live in a certain way but that's not the reality for most of us right 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 and it's okay. Like it's, it's okay for us to have needs because you do. And here's the thing, the Lord cares about this. I mean, this is the point in, in the Sermon on the Mount, right? The, the Lord takes care of the birds. He takes care of the flowers in the fields. He'll take care of you because he knows that you have those needs. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's now I help people see what, you know, their needs are in my coaching and, mm -hmm. and even help with setting boundaries. I didn't understand any of that until I started reading. Um, we actually did a Bible study of boundaries. And so it was me and two other ladies. And it was just amazing to me. And one of the chapters is um, boundaries and children. And I was like, I don't need to read that. I don't have any children. <laughs> and yet I read it and was like, oh, I was a child. That's where the difference comes in is yeah. boundaries with as a, you know, parents. And it was just, it was fascinating to me to see, to even learn what boundaries were. Yeah. Okay. Well tell so give me a practical example of how that has helped you and how, how you've been able to go, okay, I'm going to, this is going to be my boundary. 
Yeah. So for one, it was, well, it's kind of a cross between women who love too much book and boundaries. So women who love too much really taught me that some people are emotionally unavailable. Yeah. And what that means is, is that they might be able to have one emotion, i.e. example, anger, like my dad, like me, um, and they don't know how to express themselves in any way, shape, or form. And so once I learned about uh, I was emotionally unavailable, I thought, okay, so now I have to be able to share what it is that I want in a relationship, what it is that I need in a relationship, which is kind of the same thing, want and need, but it's also what do I need in the other person, right? What do I, what do I need in the other person to do? Like, do I need them to um, treat me with kindness and respect and courtesy, or do I need them to um, make a plan and not follow through? Cause that's what I was used to my whole life. Right. Yeah. So for me, that was kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm anyone who doesn't follow through. I'm not a, that's a boundary. I'm not willing to let someone cross anymore. Like, no, that doesn't work for me. Yeah. But, but I'm also very good now at, um, saying this is, um, I'll even use the word boundary. Although some, some coaches will be like, don't use the word boundary. That sounds terrible. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really care. (laughs) (laughs) I think it works. Like my boundary is it's important that you follow through, or at least tell me that you can't follow through. Like, I'm totally fine if you can't right. follow through. Right. I just need to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, again, people either respect it or they don't. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Well, so what surprised you about going on that journey that that, that you sort of discovered and, and were like, oh, wow. Love, that's what really surprised me is um, how to love me and how, what that looks like, what that feels like um, when you, uh, I'm going to tear up just talking about it. When you sit and think about how, well, when I sat and think, and I, I hope hopefully your, your listeners will too. When we sit and think about how God took his only son, which as a parent, and again, I'm not, but I love children as if they were my own. To lose one is just absolutely the worst of the worst of the worst loss, right? So to think that someone who created us, but also took his own son and sacrificed for us, it just makes me go, wow, you love me that much. And so when I would sit with that and um, close my eyes and just feel what that felt like, it it just expands your heart in such a warm hug type of feeling that like as if there were hands holding onto your heart in the center of your chest and just having this warm feeling throughout your whole body. I thought, now, how can I feel that way about myself? Mm. And, you know, growing up, it was this inner negative self-talk for most of my life. And when I would look in the mirror, I would hear what my uh, ex-boyfriend would say to me. And um, 
one day I was out shopping, trying on a dress and um, was with my girlfriend and I looked in the mirror and I was no longer his voice. It was my mom's. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh my God, I had no idea that he was repeating the same things that she had said to me growing up. Wow. And uh, that was to me so surprising. And yet, because I had healed, it was not about blaming or shaming any one of my family. Yeah. It was more about seeing them as they didn't have the tools and skills to love either. Which is interesting, right? That sort of compassion for your family is, is, uh, that's kind of an interesting outgrowth of love, learning to love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think it starts with our families, you know, whether it's, um, the family we choose that are friends or the family that we are born into. I mean, I've heard as, as, as you have, Eric, so many people have families that, you know, they've been abandoned, they've been abused to the nth degree. They've been, um, you know, maybe given up for adoption and all the, all the, all the things, right. All the stories and used and abused. And, and it's like when you can find that love within yourself to forgive and to have compassion that they're an ill person, they don't have the, um, capacity to love in a healthy way, then there's no room for shame or blame. It's really about just seeing them as uh, children of God too. Wow. Wow. Friends, that's powerful right there, right? It's about finding, about seeing other people as, as also beloved of God, right? No matter how they've hurt you. Wow. That's is powerful. I think that's what Jesus is getting at, right? Love God, love others as yourself, you know? Um, I think, I think love your enemies even, right? Like that goes mm-hmm. to the, that's, that's what he's getting at. Uh, what a beautiful example. Okay. I love that. Okay. So how did you get into coaching and kind of deciding to move into like, okay, not only is it about, you know, your own journey, but you want to help other people. Yeah. So, about three or four, maybe even five months into my healing journey right after his car accident, I had probably five or six women show up to me who would tell me their story and they would earn abusive relationships. And I would share with them what I learned. And I'm like, I'm, and again, that's the thing I learned was that most mm. people, when they share that they're in an re- abusive relationship, they get shamed or blamed. Like, oh, how could you do that? Why, why could, how could you yeah. be so stupid? That, that just pushes them all the closer to the abuser, right? So I wanted to be a person to say, this is what I've learned about my own relationship. He's that's manipulation, that's gaslighting, that's you know, all, all the things that's narcissistic behavior, you know, all the things that I had learned. He's emotionally unavailable. Um, whatever, whatever the topic I was talking on. And they would be like, wow, I'd never seen that before. And I'd never heard that before. And so in a matter of time, it's like, what is it when the student is ready, the teacher appears, and when the teacher is ready, the student appears? Yeah. And so they would leave their, their significant other and 
was like, I can't believe I didn't see it. Now I see it. And, um, and then I also, I am also a hairstylist. And so I would share with my hair clients, like, you'll never believe what I learned. And they're like, what'd you learn? I'm like, I learned that I am not being good at being vulnerable. And they're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Like, what does that even mean? They had no idea. Uh And so I would share with them and, uh, they would go away, you know, four to six weeks, they would come back and they would say, oh my gosh, I took what you said to me. And I applied it to my, my coworker, my boss, my spouse, my child, my parent, whatever, whatever relationship. And they're like, and that relationship shifted. And I was like, huh, they're like, Uh, you could, they're like, you should be a coach. You should be a speaker. You should have a podcast. You should write a book. Like they helped me see all those things, even though way back when, when I was um, in that Sunday school uh, at around the same time as Jesus was sitting with me in the folding chairs, I had a vision that I was standing on stage speaking to a group of people. It just never crossed my mind that oh, yeah. this is what I would be talking about as my own experience. And so when I realized uh, that I needed to heal and started to heal, I thought, okay, what path was I on before I met him? And where does, and what God, where do you want to take me? Mm-hmm. And when I say that I was questioning myself, I'm really questioning God, right? I had started writing, started journaling, probably in the middle of all of the chaos of that relationship. And it turned in very quickly to a thank you letter to God every day. Wow. And um, now that I'm, you know, by myself, and I'm single and I was looking healing myself. It was like, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to go through what I went through. So now I have the tools and skills to help this person. Thank you. And to see that it's really about, impact and what Jesus did, what God did is all about impact. It's not about them, but they take, you know, he takes what you've gone through and uses it for good. And this is the good that can come of it. Yeah. Really interesting. I love what you said. You went back, right? And you asked yourself the question, what path was I on before? Yeah. Where where was I before? And sometimes that's the right question, right? Like you, when you can look and go, okay, I had that happen last year with something I got involved in, didn't work out. And then I had to ask myself, oh, what was I going to do? What am I going to do? Right. And the <laughs> yeah. answer was, I'm going to go do the thing I wanted to do in the first place. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Cause exactly. that's the right thing. And uh, that's what I probably should have done the whole time. Right. But interesting. So yeah, sometimes you have to, you have to go back in order to go forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So you're, you're coaching, you wrote a book. Is that right? Yeah. So I have um, three books now. I have uh, my first book is called How to Get Your Voice Back. Oh, nice. And it's a, it's a journal prompt book. And it is for anyone who has an inner negative voice. And those are the six steps that God gave me to heal while journaling. And so, um, yeah, so that was my first book. And as I was writing it, it was it literally in a one sitting. I kind of sat back and was like, oh, God, I think you just... I think you just wrote my first book. Oh my gosh. <laughs> ah, nice. And, uh, and then I was in a co-author book. Um, after that, I have a chapter in a co-author book and now I'm facilitating co-author books called hashtag Firestarters book project. And the first one is just out now, how to be a spark of hope in the midst of change. All right. Yeah. Well, very good. Okay. Uh, 
I love that. What is that? Uh, tell us a little bit about that, that you're, cause you're sharing that, right? Yeah. So um, the Firestarters book project kind of came out of uh, 2020. I was on, I was in shutdown from the salon for two months and in week six, my self-publishing coach came to me and it was like, Hey, have you ever thought about facilitating your own co-author book? And I was like, you know, I don't want it. If I do this, I don't want it to just be a co-author book that, you know, chicken soup for the soul that people submit a, a, co- a, a chapter and then that's it. Like, no, I want to create a community. And so it's people like us, Eric, who are solopreneurs or, you know, podcasters or coaches or speakers or whatever. And, and they had to like shift the way we network because everything was shut down. We couldn't go to podcast movement like we did or, right. you know, PodFest or, or, you know, coaching retreats or anything like that, where you're networking and connecting and building each other up in a, in a community. So I thought, well, what if we did that in a book? What if we really created a community inside a book that people really wanted to be a part of because they saw the value of collaborating? They saw the value of people praying for you, right? They saw the value that knowing that if you need any kind of support, someone in that community will be able to support you. So that's kind of how it happened. I love it. Okay. Well, can people, and that's out now, right? Yes, it is. Okay. Yep. Yep. They so, can, uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they can go on a uh, firestartersbookproject.com slash Shay dash sparks, and they can buy a autographed copy there. Um, but if they want to be in it as well, if they're like, well, wait, I have a story to tell. I have a, I know that I've overcome some things. Um, we also have firestartersbookproject.com that kind of tells you when our next book is going to be called and when that's coming out and all, all of that includes. Perfect. Well, I've got links to that all in the show notes, friends. So if you want to find it, you're busy doing the dishes or cooking dinner, or whatever it is you're doing while you listen to your podcast. I listen to podcasts when I mow. Shay. So that's what, yeah. that's, that's the best time for me. But uh, if you're doing that and you, you come back to it later, just go to halfway there podcast.com. You can find links to everything Shay just mentioned. Shay, I love your story. Thank you for sharing it. You absolutely, uh, you know, shed some light on what it's like to rediscover yourself or to find yourself. I think it's mm. so important. God made you my friends for a purpose. There are things, yes. Ephesians two ten that he made you to do in the world and you're the only one who can do it. We need you. So uh, you have to, you have to figure that out. And if that pulls on your heart, take one step, just take one step and then keep going. All right, Shay, I'm preaching. What do you have anything you want to, you want to leave us with? Yeah, actually. Um, so when I said the uh, teacher is ready, the student will appear. It started off with other women who had experienced trauma it had then shifted into um, veterans, and now it's men with tra- who've experienced mm. um, traumatic relationships, and and now it's the military. So um, I will also say that when you are working to heal, you are working um, on your purpose. So mm. your purpose is to heal. Number one, number two, when you're working on your purpose. In when we're working in your purpose on purpose, God has a way of just connecting you 
when you are going through your process with curious exploration, he will connect you with people to collaborate with that you had no idea that you would impact. No idea. I had no yeah. idea that I would go from women who have been in abusive relationships to the military. Right. Never, never in a million years did I think that. And here I am in a short period of time. So um, if it can happen to me, it can happen for you. Absolutely. That's the amazing thing, right? You shed all the things that you didn't that, that you took on as your identity that you that you didn't weren't actually your identity you let them go uh, yeah. for you it might have been you know helper in an unhealthy way I don't know maybe maybe that's something else but um, you let all those things go and then you discover who you really are and God leads you to, to your people it's fascinating and it, yeah. and it happens it's not just you know it's not just you it happens to people's so friends it could be you Shay thanks for being here I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be on your show.